Well, so it makes sense. Yeah. So, welcome to You Better Believe It. We're talking about episodes four through six of One Punch Man. With me, as always, is Nate Regolia, and here to make us feel bad about our voices is uh, special guest Marcus Freeman. Marcus, how you doing, brother? I'm doing amazing, and uh, I'm I'm really happy to to rap about this weird, bizarre show with you guys. Us too. You wanna? Uh, Marcus is the narrator of Dear Reader, an unauthorized biography of Kim Jong Un yep. by Michael Malice, and yes. uh, you did Heart of Darkness recently too, right? I did. Yeah. There are only 43 other versions of The Heart of Darkness out there on Audible, and I'm competing with all of them. But so yours is the best. <laughs> you know, uh, Kenneth Branagh has the official Audible version of that, so I'm competing with him. That's all. <laughs> yeah, but in Kenneth Branagh's version, Kurt survives at the end, and it's stupid. That is kind of dumb. I don't know why he did that. That's weird. I know. He, it's just the Shakespeare thing. He keeps trying to rewrite stuff. This isn't tragic enough. What a well, let's make him live. Let's yeah. Make him well, Kenneth Branagh also also made How to Kill Your Neighbor's Dog, which you didn't have the misfortune of being in or around, so you win by default. Nice. Like, um, also, my so my my weeb cred, gentlemen. Uh, for those who can't tell from my voice alone, uh, I'm half Japanese, and my middle given name is akira so i don't know if that puts me in any running for weebness or not but that is my cred for being on this show at the very minimum you're the most weeby person we've had on so far i think (laughs) i don't know does being partially japanese actually lower your weeb cred i feel like weeb is like a a western kind of i don't know it is but i'm so like not I'm 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 a white guy that looks Asian <laughs> most of the time. Like uh, yeah. I grew up in Ohio. Like yeah, I just happen to look this way. It feels like it feels like a kabuki mask most of the time. To I be, mean, Mar- Marcus, I, I love you, but I remember when you built that uh, teleportation machine and you got in there with a Japanese boy and you came out the other end and you were like, "This is me now." Yeah, yeah. Mm, and no. I start putting up my own cupcakes to to, to eat them. Yeah, that happens. That happens. <laughs> Yeah, this Blumhouse remake of The Fly sounds problematic. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm catching up with One Punch, and I started with episode four in the middle of it without watching the beginning. Um, and I watched way beyond six because I was just I was just taken by the by the goings on in the story. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how you guys want to kick this off, but. Or where do you want to start? Usually, uh, Nate kind of handles the the narrative recap because I'm kind of okay. fried and uh, he has a good <laughs> head for these things. Right, so, right. have you had experience, Marcus, with this before in any of the various media that it's in, or is this all new for you? This is this is all new for me. I remember watching parts of the first episode a long time ago out of sheer curiosity and not knowing anything about it other than. I saw the title of it floating around and and I watched it. I watched the first episode. I'm like, this whole package is really, really brilliant and really smart and really uh, tongue in cheek and cutting and adorable. And, a, and a, it's all, a bunch of things just jammed into one. I'm like, this is really, really smart and fun writing for for anime as as it can get. And it's it's perfect for an international audience, too, because it's like winking and nodding at itself all the time, all the time. Yeah, yeah I, I, I feel like this show 
this is gonna be this is gonna be a big a big hot take, but I feel like this show is the best animated thing on TV since or you know available uh, post season eight of The Simpsons kind of thing. Like this wow. is like for for the genre for what it's doing for the number of ways that it's referential and layered and thoughtful and like there's a cleverness that's constantly there, but it's it also has that same kind of tenderness where like you. You feel connected to these characters. You, you don't do. feel like this is all just uh, patronizing or just one gag chasing another gag. It's there's a thoughtful story here and there a really world is. that's it's, real. It's, it's kind of surprising too. It, it it seeps through all of the jokes and gags and and self-referential winking and nodding, uh, and that's what that's what's keeping me watching. Is like I suddenly care about these characters, which is even a weirder thing to say, <laughs> considering what they do and who they are. It's almost one of those things with uh, sometimes you see a piece of art and you wonder if the people involved with it realize how good it actually is. Like, I wonder what their thoughts would be, how it resonates with people, not only like in the West, but people that are probably not wholly familiar with all the tropes that they're hitting on. Oh, yeah. Definitely. yeah I, I, it, it, it feels like, I mean, it, I want to say that there's got to be like artistic intent here to this level, but I could also see how this would just be lovingly done and stumbling upon genius over and over again. I yeah, mean, because I know we, we talk about kind of like the deeper themes and the resonance in it, but it is also like a Gremlins 2 style wall to wall series of jokes. And yeah. it wouldn't be beyond the pale that that's what it was meant to be. And they just kind of hit on the other stuff by accident, which would make it even more brilliant. I agree, yeah, because it is, it's like, uh, I mean, because we talked about the ennui issue last episode, I think, um, and I, it doesn't it doesn't ever go away. I mean, even beyond these first six episodes, um, there's still this baseline search for meaning that, un, that, that is just beneath the surface of everything that Saitama does that really, like, it, I don't know, it's, it's like a lot of those really like the core good years of the Simpsons were amazing at having the moments where Homer and Marge really had a tender marriage that was realistic, or he had a real relationship with Bart or Lisa or Maggie, right? Where you're like, this is a, this is a human story that is just a cartoon. So it's set, it's just turned up to 11, right? Yeah. It's weird how bombastic this is, but it's still kind of like intensely relatable. I think, especially to men of our age, also, um, you can't use the word baseline around me anymore because I'll just go into a weird uh, Nabokov tangent now. Like it's it's like a sleeper cell word for me for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So <laughs> if you could avoid using the word Sells. baseline, I'd appreciate it. Sells. <laughs> what what's your relationship with your mother, Sean? <laughs> uh, let me tell you about my mother. Um. So uh, yeah, uh, episode four is titled "The Modern Ninja." Uh, this episode uh, entails a hard-headed criminal named Hammerhead forming a terrorist group called the Paradisers that demand free goods for the unemployed, and they target local business magnate Zen Nero uh, using stolen enhancement suits. Um, they're all bald, so I, this leads... Uh, I, I don't want to cut you off, but I don't know if I've ever identified more with a character than I did with Hammerhead, the leader of the Paradises, or Paradisers. Yeah, no, I, I, I <laughs> conflicted because... Of, He's a good guy. <laughs> this is the pre-credits role of him just screaming in the middle of the 
of the street and not getting anyone to listen to him is just out. It's what a beautiful opening into his world and his character that way. It's like nobody's listening. Okay, time to destroy everything, I guess. And I, I'm sure you'll touch on it. And we interrupt each other all the time. So feel free, Marcus, to just jump in wherever. Um, the Him just yelling in that super intense pose, everybody makes mistakes. It's just important that we learn from them. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's such a, a – it, it's like a uh, – you know, he, he's like a, like a Facebook socialist, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's yelling. He's um, yelling it into the crowd and nobody cares. Um, so yeah, so they're they're they've got these stolen enhancement suits, um, and that's when we get our our I think our first shot of the Moomin Rider, who is a uh, bicycle uh, clothing <laughs> clad cyclist who is a Class C hero, and he shows up to uh, to fight Hammerhead, but does not fare well because he's just a guy on a bike. Uh, who is, with a little bit of body armor. That's yeah, it. With a little bit of body armor, a, a cool set of shades. Yeah, but not even like a good like body armor like you're thinking of. It looks like um do you remember in the nineties when they had professional like beach roller hockey? Oh yeah, yeah. Or, it would be or like or maybe, that kind maybe of get up. Something that an ATV guy would wear to protect yeah, exactly. himself from getting thrown off of his vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did confirm, Nate, that Moomin Rider is a uh, like a not so subtle reference to Common Rider. Okay. So. Yeah, which and and honestly, I gotta say, I mean, we'll we'll get to uh, later in the season when Moomin Rider has an especially powerful moment. Um, but here, there, it's it's comedic, but again, with the sincerity, like. Moomin Rider is really trying to make a difference, and that is, and and it takes the form of like throwing his bicycle sort of listlessly at this group of guys in super suits and just getting his ass kicked. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So Moomin Rider, uh, and then suddenly we get the appearance of our ninja friend, Speed of Sound Sonic, who talks fast, uh, moves fast, and, I don't know, do- just doesn't like Saitama for whatever reason. <laughs> Yeah, he spent his whole life studying the blade in his uh, ninja village. He's like the the proto incel. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned something about uh, how um, sincere the characters is, and something I wanted to touch on. Like with all this goofy shit going around, the characters like Genus and Moomin Rider, the fact that they're like very earnest is what really makes this show work. Yeah, because they're 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 funny as straight men for the most part. Like they're doing. They're just delivering, like, this is a serious adventure slash superhero story. And flat out, like, they're, and they're, and they're pulling all the anime tropes, too. They're, you know, they're talking fast. They're throwing around a lot of bombastic language. And, and it works. It works really well because that makes every shrug Saitama gives that much more potent as a contrast. Marcus, have you ever seen uh, Fooly Cooly? Have you ever seen, because we were talking about doing that show next. Oh, I love that show. That Good. show's amazing. That yeah. show's outstanding. I love that show. So, like, that's yeah, a show... I haven't, I, I haven't watched it in ages. It'll be great to revisit it with this with well, this format. Definitely come on with us if you want when, uh... I mean, anytime, but come on for that, too. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, Everybody on that show is, like, super bombastic. It's like a Dead Leaves thing. There's maybe, like, the main character, Nata, kinda is and kinda isn't, and there's one kind of sad girl that's, like, pretty earnest. 
So, but it's like a very like propulsive, like goofy show where this has like 70% of that. And again, the 30% of like really grounded, really sincere people like really make it special in a way that other shows aren't. Oh yeah. I mean, go ahead, Marcus. Well, the Sonic and, and especially Genos, um, there, I think it was, I think it was episode five where, or maybe it was six, um, where there's we follow Genos most of the time, and without a counterbalance of Saitama, there he's really boring. <laughs> like because he's too he's too sincere. He's too much of a, a straight buttoned up hero for me. I'm like, dude, you're just you're just dragging this whole thing down. Like I want to see I want to see you either fighting someone or see Saitama balanced against you. I mean it's I I love the shots of of Saitama just laying down. Uh, it's Tommy Matt watching TV, picking his nose and eating snacks. Like he doesn't care. <laughs> oh yeah. He'd rather he would rather do that than go out and and punch people once. <laughs> yeah, like one of the, the the best things is how like unaware he is of everything he's supposed to be doing. And I think I don't know if it's this episode or the next one. I think it's this one. No, it must be the next one where it touches on like that you actually have to actively be doing your C class. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Quota. Right. Nate, yeah. that's number six right he's oh, that's right he can't <laughs> yeah number six is him trying to fill his quota and he can't do it right that's that's because yeah, uh, Gen- genos's problem when you watch him is it's like it's like hanging out with somebody who is really psyched about like their middle management job and that's all they want to talk about uh, like oh man i gotta i get to file this report tomorrow it's it's it, absolutely imperative i file this report <laughs> Would you like to learn how to file the report with me, Master? It's like, no. <laughs> um, uh, jumping back. So uh, so Speed of Sound Sonic uh, is fighting with the Paradisers. Uh, ends up putting a kunai in the back of Hammerhead's head, uh, which is pretty hilarious because it remains there for the rest of the episode. But then runs into Saitama. Um, and this this is the continuation of this running joke. All the Hammerheads are bald. And so everybody, like all of the uh, people in in the city are <laughs> Saitama and assuming he's a terrorist because he's bald. So you have that through line gag that works every time because they space it out perfectly. Uh, but this also leads uh, Sonic to think that he's a bad guy, too. So uh, they, well, I guess they, they figure it out, don't they? Well, it's uh, one of those things where, I mean, the, the Sonic character is just using it as a pretense to fight this guy. You know what I mean? I think he's aware pretty quickly that Saitama isn't one of the villains, but he just wants to test against him. I think well, that's isn't, Speed, yeah. isn't Speed of Sound sort of like a villain himself? I thought he was more on the villain side of things, no? Or is he a hero? I think he's like a mercenary. It seems like it. Like, he, yeah. he doesn't seem all that all that noble compared to other, other heroes that we have, at least in the... In the um, in, you know, in the class system that they've got. Yeah, he's, I, I, I feel like Speed of Sound Sonic is just driven, he's driven by his own ego. I think Sean hit it. It's like, he fights to best people so that he can know that he's better than other people, but not mm-hmm. for a cause. Right, it's all about the self-improvement tip for him. It's just like, I must keep fighting in order to fight better and better and better and, and climb a ladder of my own making. Kind of. When all he needs to do is a hundred 
<laughs> squats, 100 crunches, and 100 push-ups, and that took kilometers a day, and he would be amazing. The runner of the fact that, like, he has no other answers than just to work out yeah. is so fucking hysterical, because it's obviously, like, the most effective thing, <laughs> and I don't know if it's also, like, supposed to be a commentary on, like, the lack of activity of millennials and shit like that, uh, or maybe I'm just bringing that to it, but the fact that he's like, uh, that's all I got. But he thinks it's not enough, even though that's literally made him the most powerful being on Earth is a great joke that just never stops being funny. I, I love that. And it, it continues throughout the, the season, too. But, the, the you know, basically his his incredible physical prowess is this thing that carries him through because he is otherwise uh, deficient at being a superhero, at least by the rules laid out by the by the system. And and it's only that he is capable of like destroying everything instantly that he gets called in to do stuff by these sort of reluctant again like kind of salary man middle management types who run the the, the squad uh, it's just yeah it's just great um so uh yeah so saitama just wrecks hammerhead's uh, power suit but lets him live and run away so you got this naked guy with a kunai in the back of his head running through the woods uh, oh, to which he remarks, it's a good thing my skull has always been thicker than average. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> right. Which, I, I mean, is that is that a dig at the at the socialist uh, information he's he's spreading? I don't know, but the um, the way it's phrased makes it sound like it's one of those things that, like, he either, like, it happened due to something. Like, I don't know. It's just, It's so curiously phrased that it makes it funny. It's not like... I was born with this, you know, extra skull. It's just like, it's always kind of been like that. Yeah. Just like, you know, he's always been kind of dumb, or this restaurant's always been kind of shitty. It's not like a statement of absolute fact. Right. It's kind of this weird subjective point. Like, at some point, he noticed that it was thick, but he doesn't remember when, and yeah. Uh, weird. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, Sonic is then just determined to assume Saitama is one of the Paradisers. So, they fight, uh, but... Uh, Saitama really tries not to beat him up, and uh, Sonic, doing a, like a flying lunge, lands his crotch on Saitama's fist, which is just enough to uh, knock S Speed of Sound Sonic out, and so he runs away, but declares that Saitama is now his eternal rival. So I guess we're to take that this uh, his punch is a active power only at this point like i know it's just a comedy gag about him getting punched in the dick but because he didn't like intentionally hit him in the balls that he it didn't kill him yeah i think i think it's it, i think it's like he ran his balls into a stationary brick wall which would hurt but it wouldn't destroy you the way a a brick wall propelling itself at like a thousand miles an hour would Hello? Hello. Yeah, sorry. Seven dog problems. That's all right. Dog problems happen. Yeah. Marcus, you got dogs? I don't, but I hear the tippy taps on your end. Yeah, you, I mean, it, we're pretty famous for having some kind of dog audio <laughs> on every episode. Yeah, Rocket's in the other office right now, so we won't hear him, and Toby's <laughs> at home. So no dogs for me today, but I can do a little bit of uh, improv if you'd like. No, Wolf, no. Uh -huh. <laughs> I have to go now. My planet needs me. Yes, and <laughs> there is there is one moment in that in that 
show with Hammerhead that I love in that there's there's a gigantic golden turd sitting on top of a building <laughs> at one point. It's just a quick cut and someone gets slammed or thrown into it. And also there's a detail of Hammerhead weighing 462 pounds, which is an astronomical amount of weight. I don't know if that's with the super suit he's wearing or not, but uh, all- both of those most of those both of those things uh, uh, caught my attention out of that one. Did, uh, did you guys remark on how Saitama tells Sonic that Hammerhead went that way, but naked? <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is a phrase that doesn't get used very often anymore. But naked. Yeah, but naked. Um, yeah, so this, this uh, okay. So oh, we get a little I, meant to, I meant to pitch in. I think, um, what's the guy's name? Zenryu or whatever, the businessman? Yeah. Is that same businessman from Genku Private Eye that, like, uh, vague business pimp. Oh, like, it, yeah. it reminded me a lot of him because he just has this like monolithic building and just some some kind of vague crime enterprise. I'm not really sure what he does. Yeah, he just he just doesn't have a a, a motorcycle shoulder bladed stripper laser cat <laughs> off screen. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. She she they they couldn't pay her daily rate, so she's yeah. off. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Hammerhead turns over a new leaf, I guess, at the end of the episode. Um, no, he sells out. Okay, yeah, so he sells out. Yeah, he, he, he gives up all his socialist ideas after meeting resistance and becomes like a valet or something. Oh, that's right. Okay, yep, yep. I didn't take the best notes. Uh, and then uh, Saitama kind of feels bad because nobody recognizes him as a hero. Um this is where you first get that glimpse into the psyche that, like, there's more to him than just being bored. It's like yeah. he wants to be recognized. Yeah, he, he wants to he wants to do something with what he has um, other than just being disaffected most of the time. Yeah, and he's uh, he, he's, you know, I mean, the, the first episode, he basically like he chooses to be a hero because he wants to. And then this is him. Yeah, he basically just I don't and and I don't really get it either. I think that's the beauty of the way it's framed. Like you really feel you feel bad for him because everybody should recognize that he is. And instead, you have a crowd of people who just kind of have assumed that he was one of the terrorists and because even when he wins, they don't care. Right. Uh, but this is this is also when uh, Geno suggests that they join the Hero Association, and that's how we end the episode. Is this episode, or is it the next one, where they're going to the website, and it's like everybody's out there fighting crimes without a license is just a weirdo? That must be the next one, I think. Okay. I think I think they yeah I think they look into that because then they take the exam. Uh, in in episode five, the ultimate master. So, yeah, so they pass an exam for the Hero Association. Uh, Genos becomes an S-Class hero, which I believe is the, the pinnacle. Uh, and Saitama ends up in C-Class because even though he broke every record for the physical portion, he did very poorly on the written and the interview because he just doesn't care. <laughs> which, I mean, you get, you get an hilarious, uh, you get this hilarious scene in a seminar with Snakebite Snack, who's, <laughs> who's in the Snack, not Snake. Snack, who is very annoyed because Saitama is basically like staring off in the middle distance, just popping his gum over and over again. 
I don't know. Are we are we to take that Saitama doesn't care or that he's just kind of a dope, which I think makes him more endearing? I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I don't think he's dumb. I just think like he's just laissez-faire about about most things other than his crunches and working out. And, yeah. And, and food and food and snacks. Right. Yeah. yeah I kind of I, I kind of read him as someone who's like. I mean, one, like, he's wearing, I think this is the first episode where he's wearing his Opie sweatshirt, which is just yeah. just breasts <laughs> on a sweatshirt. Um, so he's wearing that, like, hanging out in this seminar. And, I, yeah, I guess I, I kind of read him as, like, he figures, well, hey, I'm, I'm, I do all the stuff that you need me to do. So I'm not, I'm not going to worry about all this other administrative crap, like, listening well, to this guy yell at me. That and he knows he could take out anyone that comes in his way if they ever mess with him too like he's he is the ultimate he is the walking class s by default <laughs> regardless yeah, th- of whatever class he's actually given i think it's kind of cute that he's just like sort of a bro you know what i mean because it's not like a it's not a trope you see that often in anime or if it is the guy's name is like roy california and he's like some kind <laughs> of like some kind of highly concentrated like I don't know, like a four loco and a Jeep Wrangler had a baby. <laughs> super, <laughs> super westernized distillation of a human being. Right. But, right. you know, he's just kind of, Saitama's just kind of a dude. You know what I mean? He's just a little broy, like not too bad, but just sort of normal. And again, I, f- I find that like very endearing. Mm. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, and I, I think on the other hand, too, we can make, uh, I can make a case that he's also like, he is he is genuinely disillusioned yeah so he he has for so long i think detached himself from the bulk of the world because he sees how silly most of it is um that that's kind of his default mode he's just like he only as we noted like he only really gets riled up the one episode where he's got to go get uh he's he's upset because he missed coupon day at the the grocery store um (laughs) And and then otherwise, like he's he is he's psyched about Udon, he's psyched and he's psyched about fighting monsters, hoping that one of these times it'll be a challenge. But I think I think he's just in this default space of like, well, nothing's really a challenge. And I'm I'm he's yeah, it's it's weird because he's almost like he's almost so elevated above the rest of the world in which he exists. I love his his line in this too with Genos where he's like, he's doing the voiceover. He's like, for some reason, Genos is living here. And then he looks over at him and he's like, why are you even here? It's not like we're related. Right. <laughs> so great. Yeah. He, I mean, he is, he's kind of, uh, yeah, he's, he's kind of above it and he's kind of just, he's kind of just a, a detached jerk too. But in the, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're just maybe it's right to just say he's kind of a he's kind of a broy dope, and that's really all there is to it. Yeah. At least at this point in the season, he's he's more of a broy dope right yeah, now. Yeah, that's fair right. to yeah, yeah. you know. I haven't I don't remember the rest of the episode, so maybe he has like an arc. Although to be honest, if he had kind of a flat arc and everything just kind of goes around him. <laughs> I'd be yeah, fine with that too. <laughs> That's about the best description you could come up with. Which punch match? Yeah, it's just, it's just a flat arc. Yeah, it's a line. <laughs> Nate knows. That's how I write main characters. It's like they never change. <laughs> just everything orbits around them. 
Well, they, I never they, want to learn any lessons. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, it's like that Calvin and Hobbes. It's like, well, the lesson we learned today is, uh, well, we didn't learn any big lessons, so sue us. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. Great. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of value to that to that style, right? Because it's like, uh, what is it? It's, you know, uh, these conceptions of, like, hyperspace travel where they're like, hey, well, we don't, the ship doesn't move. The thing moves space around the ship. Yeah, it's the spoon. It's, yeah, and you get and you get places no matter what, and it it is it's still valuable. Like, I don't know. I think it's I think it's cool to manipulate the world around stationary characters sometimes because we don't all grow that much in our lives necessarily either. Some of us don't grow at all, Nate. Right. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, what? It, yeah. That anyway, is, that's, that's a different conversation. Uh, so, that's spot so, on. <laughs> so so Snack is super annoyed because Saitama is checked out of his his lecture and snack is really trying to like bobby knight at him as hard as he can like he's ready to throw a folding chair to get this kid to pay attention got a pizza box full of shit just behind his lectern yeah uh so snack's like okay well we're gonna fight then because you're you're insolent and you don't get this and i'm a real hero and all this and of course they fight and saitama whoops his ass with no problem uh so this then kind of cuts, I guess, to uh, Genos gets some new upgrades and wants to spar with Saitama to, to prove himself because he's still trying to uh, get amped up. But now Genos really wants Saitama to fight him seriously. He doesn't want him to hold back. He keeps saying, you, you know. Bef- before we roll over this too much, can we talk about Genos's, uh dad and his hair for like two seconds? Because it's wonderful. Yeah. Like, I feel like that haircut's gotta be an allusion to something, but I'm not sure what. Because he just looks like Toad from uh, Super Mario Brothers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, his dad's hair? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> the scientist, yeah, his father? Sure. Oh, my God. The the most severe, bizarro-looking bowl cut ever created. It's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of this is is playing with I don't know. Like, are they are they alluding to this sort of like weird? I don't know. I don't even know what it is. Is it like a dickhead thing? Is it like a? a I feel it, like it's it's supposed to be like a like a Doctor Wiley kind of like all those like evil scientists how they all have that kind of like silly old man hair. But again, like everything else here, it's just like ratcheted up to the nth degree. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that how, works. How, that, how yeah. absurd can we make it? Yeah. Without going too over the top <laughs> oh man um okay so we're post the uh, the student crushing yes, yes <laughs> episode so yeah so they try to uh, yeah it snake bites neck can't can't deal uh uh genos and saitama are sparring genos uh keeps saying like come on you gotta like you gotta give me full give me 100 percent saitama uh and then when he gets serious, he just completely destroys Genos before basically just stopping at the last second. And for uh, a, a, another thing that, like, the show does repeatedly, for, like, a 45-second joke, the animation is so intensely well done, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, right. they're not, they're not, uh, yeah, they're not cutting any corners with the, with the animation. Like, this, this show always looks good. And it's always doing, I, I think we talked about it last episode, but it's always doing that thing where it flows from 
low detail to extremely high detail and back to low detail in this very smooth way that mm. makes the viewing experience really like it's captivating. It's really captivating to watch. And we 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 follow Saitama's emotional state through those animation styles most of the time. Like he goes from super serious to it looking like a Dragon Ball Z animation punch up, you know, super power up uh, moment where he gets all super serious and the background fades out and there's just like lightning and storms and explosions and all this other shit and rush lines out the ass and everything else. And then there are other moments where he just has two dots for eyes, a line for a mouth, and he doesn't know what the hell is going on. It's just like I'm, just, I'm staring at anything that's just flatly. <laughs> like, well, I mean, yeah, you're bringing up a and really it, good point it there. It oscillates between those two things sometimes. And that that itself is also hysterical, just like comparing those two reactions. And knowing that One Punch Man can be both of those things <laughs> in one dude is great. Yeah, that's a great point you bring up that like the animation, the character models change depending on the tone of the line that is being spoken, which yeah. seems like a lot of fucking work. It, it is. It's a ton of work. And but but, you know, as you said, Nate, those those transitions into those things are sometimes smash cuts. But sometimes there's a full animation transformation of usually Saitama because everybody else is so stock character like you are this and that's only what you are um yeah, sometimes yeah. you see those variations in saitama like going from a dope into like i'm a badass and i could deck you and flatten you but i'm not gonna and that whole that whole like dopey walk he does when he's walking away from him after he rips <laughs> the punch like dude time to go have some noodles like oh it's so good it's so hysterical yeah, and like, it's, oh. it's even better because aren't, isn't somebody like seriously studying him as he's doing this like goofy Vince McMahon walk down the street? I think, this cave? I think it's the ninja that's looking from afar, isn't he? Yeah. Or, not? or is it is it a my mask, the blue-haired hero? Oh, right, it is a my mask. Who had appeared right. earlier, I think, to warn Genos not to hang out with Saitama because <laughs> Saitama's a bad influence. Yeah, I love right. a my mask who just like wanders in from the Persona games. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he, well, and he kind of looks like uh, Ukio from Samurai Showdown. Yeah. Like, he's just got that traditional, like, super attractive, handsome face with the long blue hair. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that's pretty much the thing. Like, uh, I, what? I, yeah, what I was going to, I was going to just hop on to the, the art thing real quick again. It's, it is cool because you're talking about moments where, He's very lovable and childlike in some of the animations where his head is is almost like a a Charlie Brown esque just a yes. ball, right? Yeah, and I then, think yeah, it's very Charlie Brown esque. I've thought that many times. And yeah, you'll slide into you'll slide into him winding up to throw that one punch, and he will become very angular, and his face yeah. becomes more like kind of like a traditional gray alien, like very pointed at the bottom, and and then you get more definition and detail on facial features. To where, I mean, in honesty, like, if the whole show was that, I I think it would be hard to enjoy. Because he would look too, he would look too intense and mean. But yeah. because he switches back and forth, it's like, well, cool. I mean, everybody has, like, a, like, I don't know, like a, a turn, it, turn it on, like, uh, you know, killer face kind of thing, right? Like, we all have, we all have, like, rage energy i guess well it's, it's funny cool. again because it's singular to him though everybody else has pretty much the same character model throughout 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All the other characters are, and they they have their their look and their style and their outfit or their costume or their physicality or whatever it was that just screams, "This is who I am." Immediately, so there's no question. Like Snake bites Snake. His he has a he has a suit that is look that looks like snakeskin, which is hysterical, right? Yeah, yeah, because he looks because he looks like a guy who wants to buy like a an ivory, <laughs> like he wants to buy ivory from poachers. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so my mask. Uh, I mean, it's can, can we just talk about? Can we just like take a moment to like? reflect on the brilliance that the guy's name is snake bite snake basically oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty awesome it is great like so so many of the the heroes names are so ridiculous and silly and heightened by what they look like too like all of it's overdone and telegraphed and wonderfully stupid but they're also <laughs> heroes and they're also experts at fighting and you know, like, and this is the persona they choose. It's just, I can't imagine that Snake Bite Snake <laughs> that, <laughs> that was foisted upon him. Like this, that he chose all of that. That is him. You know what yeah. I mean? Which is oh, even yeah. weirder. I don't know if I don't remember. It might be in the next episode, but I don't want to roll over the fact that there's a hero named Tank Top Tiger. <laughs> That's next episode. Okay. We get next episode. We get Tank Top Tiger. And there's this plaintive wail of ADR. Like, well, it's animated, so I guess it's like all ADR. But uh, <laughs> what would be in a movie ADR? Just somebody going, uh, Tank Top Tiger. <laughs> it's yep. so fucking funny. Yeah. And his his hair is also like striped like a tiger too. Yeah, he looks oh, like. God. He looks like DLC for like Street Fighter Alpha. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely does. Um, he, if he was, if he was also mutinous and larger, he would fit perfectly into. Uh, um, of course, I forget the name of it. Post-apocalyptic, punch people to death when they explode. Oh, Fist of the North Star. Fist of the North Star. He yeah. could fit in the Fist of the North Star world, 100%. I think, without problem. If he was like, you know, ten feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, also in this upcoming episode, uh, we have Golden Ball and Spring Mustachio, our other <laughs> heroes that we're going to be talking about in a moment. Um, so yeah, the last, the only last thing that happens in in episode five is that uh, Genos moves in with Saitama. He yeah, shows up with uh, <laughs> all this shit. Because the first three episodes are kind of a monster of the week episode, and then these, the next two really kind of scale it down and let it breathe a little bit. And then it kind of goes back towards the end of this episode. Yeah. So, so yeah, we've got, we've got a little relationship building that ends this one. And the next episode is called the terrifying city, which is where we find out, uh, Genos tells Saitama that, uh, C-class heroes get dropped off of the hero registry altogether after a week, if they don't take down a bad guy. Yeah, it's like they're using, like, IBF uh, title defense rules, or if you don't face a mandatory challenger every three months, they strip you of your belt. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So so this this episode starts on the comedic notion that Saitama's just, like, sitting around in his apartment eating snacks, I think, and watching TV, and then has to yep. jump up <laughs> to go to work because he doesn't <laughs> want to lose his C-class registration. And the the sheer panic on his face... And his actions is outstanding. Like he's sweating and nervous and and running as fast as he can, like at superhuman speed. 
and he looks like a wreck when he's doing it. Like he's never cared about anything else that much. I don't think in the whole show up to that point. And he looks so manic and insane doing it, like looking for anything to be a hero for. Or to yeah, say, this one hit me you. deeply this week because I, I realized I have to turn in my documents for my real ID so I don't get declared an enemy of the state or whatever. And it's due like tomorrow. And I'm just frantically like throwing drawers open looking for my fucking birth certificate. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. This is this. This really is the moment where uh, Saitama doesn't. He's finally not detached from things. Like he's really right. invested in this. I don't right. know if he's invested in it because he cares about the hero registry so much as I think he's invested in it because he cares about uh, his standing with Genos and also like this path to recognition. It's still kind of ego driven. Um, so too. That's a good call. I would agree but, with that. But it's it, yeah, it's palpable. Yeah, like you, you guys both hit it perfectly because. Yeah, he he's just like freaking out. So of course he runs outside looking for looking for trouble. And who do we get again but Speed of Sound Sonic, who has showed up to demand that they settle the rivalry. Well, and this is the the great bit where uh, Saitama knows he has some kind of unwieldy three word name, and he lands on Jack o' Lantern Panic. Yeah, which is like the best Misfits cover band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Saitama's just like, no, I, 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 I gotta find a bad guy to fight. Leave me alone. Um, which, uh, that leads us then to basically just a comedy of errors where a number of people get in his way to keep him from fighting anybody for various obnoxious reasons. So we're introduced to Tank Top Tiger. Well, the reason that he is uh, singled out by Tank Top Tiger is because of his frantic, like, almost perverse running around the city looking like a creep. Yeah, because he's yeah. scared everyone in doing it. <laughs> People think he's a villain because he's got this insane look on his face <laughs> and is it's, scrambling through the city as fast as he can trying to look for anything to do. It's also a great little look into like the the lives of the rabble in these cities because it's like this shit must be going on nonstop around them. And oh, they yeah. just have to like wander through it. Yeah, this 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 moment, right? The the way that he's recognized for being frantic. It really, it, it, so like you were saying about that hitting you, Sean, with getting this paperwork together, it hit me thinking, do I look like this when I go to the grocery store sometimes when I really don't want to be there and I just want to get everything quick and get out? And I'm just kind of like zipping around people, like not being patient, not doing, I don't know, not doing any sort of the community stuff, just like I'm running from one end of the store to the other. Uh, Cause yeah, you know, you feel like a weirdo. Yeah, because you got to buy your uh, a bottle of Madras, even though you probably got four of them somewhere in your cabinet that you bought for the last four times you made this dish. But you have to get it right now. I Yeah, because otherwise, what am I going to do? Not have Madras? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Tank Top Tiger shows up, and he's like, hey, you're scaring all these people. And I... Uh, what does he do? He So he's trying to, like, start a rumor about him? Is that this one? Well, this is kind of where, like, a couple different threads coalesce, so it gets a little bit of muddy, because there's also the the empty city where uh, all the dangerous monsters supposedly live. Right, yeah. But uh, I don't know if he's trying to start a rumor, but he's, like, he's in this kind of uh, mix-up with Tank Top Tiger all the while um, Jack-O-Lantern Panic is 
trying to fuck with him at the same time. So he's just kind of bedraggled. Marcus, is that is that right to your recollection? Or? Yeah, yeah. The, he, he sort of has to take them both down at the same time to clear his name. And the um, the the ninja threatens a kid with an exploding car that gets get that gets Saitama in into the into the fight and starts him um, kicking the ass. Basically. Yeah, that's right. Okay, because yeah, because because Tank Top Tiger's giving him shit. Uh, Sonic is trying to start stuff, and then Saitama suddenly has this comic revelation that Sonic is doing villainous things. So if he fights him, it, <laughs> might, it might count. <laughs> oh, wait, this guy might be a bad guy. He's a villain? Yeah, he's so, like, oblivious to everything but snacks. Like, he didn't realize that this super-powered ninja assassin might be a bad guy until literally, like... black and purple. <laughs> to literally, he has no other option but to notice it. So, yeah, so, so he... Uh, just knocks him out with a, a tap on the back. Another comedic, just like little touch. That throws Sonic away. Um, and then, and then we kind of cut to back to the Z city, which is where uh, they. It's basically this the abandoned city, and there's the Heroes Association is sending A class heroes named Golden Ball and Spring Mustachio. Uh, Spring Mustachio is like a British guy with a fencing foil. <laughs> Yeah. Like a rapier, and they're going to investigate where they uh, end up in a fight with a monster called Kambu Infinity, which is just like a giant uh, super seaweed creature. Whose design is amazing, just with the the black body and the two white eyes peeping out of it, and having a kid voice, so great. Yeah, yeah it, it it is like even though it's like hideous and monstrous, you're right. It does have like a I don't, like you feel kind of compassionate towards it. Yeah, because it sounds young and innocent. Even yeah. though it's a monster and it does monstery things, it doesn't sound like one. Yeah, it's just kind of hanging out, and these guys are starting shit with it. Like I, I don't think it's doing anything when we see it, right? They're just sent at it. Well, it's hard to gauge because she, it does say like I heard there's a bunch of really kick ass. I've some kind of like the way a kid would say a monsters gathering here. So I don't know if it's like it's trying to find Join more up or team with them. Right. Or, yeah. 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 Right. It, the monster's looking for other monsters to to side with. Yeah. Okay. So, it, but that could just be about friendship. Could be. <laughs> well, like it, everything's like inverse, right? Because obviously, it, um, unless I'm way off, the, they're very leaning into like the hero thing, either being like you know, a shadowy arm of the government or controlled by corporations or just some kind of nefarious group unto itself. Yeah, um, I, think this, I think this is the first episode where we get some control room scenes where you see that there are a lot of average people watching radars and monitoring stuff uh, and and dispatching these heroes. Because most of the villains we've run into at this point either have been um, mega socialists or uh, abused science experiments or cute moles. You know what I mean? Like there haven't been like, or, you know, somebody just wanted to be really strong. We haven't got like a lot. They're very arch, but they don't have like what you would consider like typically evil motivations. Yeah, no, I mean, the, even the, the, yeah, I mean, only the guy running the, whatever that thing was where he was making super monster animal human hybrids. 
Right. The evolution. What the hell was it called? Oh. Some yeah. Oh, the House of Evolution. That's it. Yeah, and I mean even and even that was like. I even that was sort of weird because it wasn't. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like the the intention was to advance humanity. <laughs> yeah. Even so, yeah. I, I guess I guess I meant more less like the people that are in charge of these programs, but the actual things that he blows up are all either like accidentally villainous or not necessarily villainous at all. But yeah. they're just like just through um, oh, what do you call it? just like just that their existence is carnage. So. Oh yeah, I mean like uh, uh, Crablante puts... is the first enemy we see on this series. Yeah. And Crablante doesn't isn't inherently evil. He just ate too much crab, and a kid drew nipples <laughs> on his shell. Yeah, and Saitama is doing no kind of reflection on it. You know what I mean? He's not interested in finding out like the whys and what forces. He just punches shit. Yeah, yeah. He's just he's just pun- he's just hoping that something will take more than one punch. It's one very time. it's very base level heroism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, the that combo infinity just like wrecks these A class heroes. Uh, so these guys are both like toasted, and uh, then Saitama runs into it while while wandering looking for trouble. I think I don't even think he like gets dispatched. I think he just arrives there. He, yeah, he's he just, just he just cutting through just shows up. Right. Yeah, from, from the grocery store where he forgot his soup broth. Oh yeah. Which, again, his, like, very singular selfish motivations, like, oh, I can kill this thing, so we'll talk about what happens. Yeah, so... Because I don't think it's something so, I want to gloss over. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, because they fight, and then, uh, basically, like, we we snap cut from uh, Saitama delivering a punch that, like, blows up half a building to him just, uh, there's just a pot on the stove with with seaweed in it. And he's just cooking some soup, and and Genos comes home, and Saitama offers him food, and he's like, "Where'd you get all this?" Yeah, he's got so much of it. He's got a box of it out front. Like, That's, right. <laughs> That's like, so good. Um, so he ate <laughs> this girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At it's, least, the, at least the hair part. We don't know it, if anything was done with the with the black uh, torso body. It's funny, right. but it's also like super dark. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, we we completely walked over Golden Ball and Spring Mustachio. Spring Mustachio turns into a coiled corkscrew weapon. His entire body turns into a corkscrew weapon and tries to like flash stab. The combo Infinity character as well. I, mm, what a weird, great power that is, too. Yeah, everybody's powers are, like, they're so, like, background X-Men characters. They're, like, all the maggots and the marrows and the lifeguards <laughs> and what have you. Yeah. Like, like nobody has, like, just a regular, like, Cyclops set of powers. You know, uh, Saitama and uh, Jean is basically the only ones that have, like, what you would recognize as, like, a heroic set of powers. Everybody else is so fucking goofy. Then and, it's kind of wonderful. Ultra specific. Yeah. Ultra specific. Yeah, they are very niche powers. powers. I mean, yeah. Spring, Spring Mustachio basically does what a, like, Mater D does when he brings you a bottle of wine. Yes. Like, he flings, like, a, a hand <laughs> towel around, and then poof, he turns into a guy with a sword. It, yeah, it's it's insane. And Golden Ball uses a, 
uh, Slingshot, right? Yeah. What I remember? Yeah. 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 Slingshot and EP and or entire physical being turns into a corkscrew sharp weapon. Pretty mm-hmm. amazing. And uh, Snake Bite Snake has hands that are transmutable into other snakes. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's really... Uh, not, not that we haven't, you know, we've loved on this show a lot, but I mean, the the amount of creativity going into coming up with these weird fringe hero characters, and then giving them absurd abilities, but then animating all of those things with care, like not, yeah. none of these people are a punchline. It's like if no. David Cronenberg made Mystery Men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. I want to see that movie so bad. <laughs> wow. I mean, Tom Waits would still be in it. <laughs> oh God! I want the whole cast, the same <laughs> cast, but a Cronenberg-directed version of that would be outstanding. Oh my God, the body horror! Ugh. Yeah, I mean, because the the fight scenes for for both uh, Spring Mustachio and Golden Ball are are treated with sincerity, and. We get a we get a cut scene where they go you know they're basically like the the command center at the hero association is talking about how hey they whatever it was because they're dispatching people they don't know Saitama killed this thing yet right so they're dispatching more heroes to go investigate this and you see these two fallen heroes like in the hospital in comas so uh, there's a very like it, it's still really serious and it's still I think that's the beauty of this show is that it takes it takes itself seriously. Like the the world seriously exists and Saitama is flowing around it or at least, you know, as we said earlier, like maybe he's just standing still while this incredible crazy world uh, revolves around him. Yeah, he's just leaving a swath of carnage wherever he goes and it doesn't affect him at all. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. I mean, even when his apartment building is effectively decimated in the episode with the uh, with the House of Evolution, everything's fine. Next episode. Yeah. I mean, he he his entire life experience is very much like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Everything resets every episode, but the world around him keeps being permanently damaged. Um, I have a lot of questions about that. So there are there are these cities that are that are what seemingly pressed right up next to each other in this megalopolis like island i i don't know if we're on japan or where the hell we are but there are these cities that are labeled a through z yeah z out of which is the one that just had that fight between kombu and these other uh heroes right so these here these cities get taken out like there is Massive amounts of destruction in these cities. So, and in many episodes, you see normal people going about their life. Like, also, at that, at the, <laughs> at the headquarters for the Hero Association, like, they're evacuating cities and things like that. Like, they have to have the most efficient evacuation system ever made to empty out what looks like something larger than New York in terms of population and density in a matter of minutes for these city clearing gigantic monsters coming out of nowhere and or you know just regular human sized monsters, whatever they may be coming out of the sky or the ground or wherever. 
they're also just showing up. So we're living in a world where monsters exist. They show up. They fuck up the world. And in order to respond to that, we have to create this hero association in order to combat them. But what if you're just Joe Schmo in this world, too? Like, it seems like there's nothing but heroes and villains, but there are there are civilians in this world. And what the hell would it be like to live in a world like that? Where, oh, yeah, well, it looks like City J got fucked up by this gigantic creature the other day. I hope we don't get crushed. Like, <laughs> what kind of... What kind of existential dread would you have living in the world of One Punch Man? Yeah, and like, would sure. you want to be a hero? No, well, yeah, not. for sure. Like, like, fucking, there's so many scenes where they walk by and there's just these, like, caverns they've created from their massive fights. And it's like every time you wake up, the whole geography of your town has changed. Basically. Like, is that an earthquake or is that another monster getting punched through buildings i don't know well i guess i'll find out when i go to work if work even exists tomorrow <laughs> like you almost want like a spin-off series about like just the normal like the mundanity yeah. of yeah, what's what going you, on in there but i like, think it would be really horrifying give me a give me a high school romance anime with one punch man in the background of that world like yeah. <laughs> try to contrast that shit i want to see something like ranma or just like this down-to-earth, simple romance rom-com anime relationship thing, but in the One Punch Man world, I think that would be pretty outstanding. Yeah, because it's almost like Saitama's almost like a Doctor Manhattan. It's just this like portent of doom walking around, walking amongst us all the time, and like people, if they knew who he was, would be mortified. <laughs> right. Yeah, you got too much power, buddy. Yeah. I think what's interesting is we see, I mean, we see this a little more later in the in the season, so we'll talk about it more then. But uh, what we do see of the people of the city is that they're all kind of, they're all pretty much, uh, they're like lemmings for the most part. Like they don't seem to have any sort of individual agency. We always see them in very large groups, and they're always sort of reacting in concert to things whether it's that they assume saitama must be a terrorist because he's also bald or whether they're cheering on moomin rider because they all recognize him but they sort of seem to be they sort of seem to be attached to the heroes in the way that we would be attached to i i guess like it's sort of like professional wrestlers like they everybody kind of is a fan of certain personalities and they recognize them when they see them and they're surprised when they get beat yeah, right. I think it also touches on like a, and you know, I th we don't have the um, kind of like the cultural knowledge of it, but we've noticed that in a lot of this media that kind of weird xenophobia of like the other, like just the fact that he's bald is enough to get him shunned by an entire society, right? Wow. Yeah. yeah, and immediately a, a terrorist. Too, yeah, basically, terrorism right. again is it something that comes up a lot, and you know, going from when we started, you know, with shit that started like the early eighties up until present day, the theme of terrorism, like domestic terrorism in anime is pretty prevalent. And I don't, I don't know if that's like, has to do with like the sarin gas attacks, but even stuff that came out before that, like it's very focused on that. And I, that's a point of reference I don't have. It's a good call. I mean, this show was made what, 2015, right? Yeah. 2016, 2015. So not too long ago at all in terms of like timeline. 
Yeah. But it's almost like when they when they say terrorism in this show, they almost use it in the way that we use it in our political satire, where like every everybody's a terrorist. Mm. Like so, I don't know yeah. if it's if it's the same thing that we're it's used like to. A, with some... It's like a, a, a diluted labeling, right? Terrorist yeah. Um, yeah. inciting yeah. some sort of fear or terror rather than an extremist of some kind wanting to cause havoc, right? Or just or just a boat rocker, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's another thing there's another thing that really gets me too, uh, and it has a lot to do with Japanese culture in general, and about the structure of the hero association too. And it's really interesting to me because hierarchy is extraordinarily important in Japanese culture, all the time. Like, it's you have to respect your elders with a with a specific type of language depending on who you're talking to. And there are different ways of bowing to people depending on how high up in rank or status they are from you. Um, if they're bosses or family members or elders or those sorts of things versus your equals. And I think it's really interesting to look at the Hero Association being chopped up in classes and the most powerful guy is in the lowest class and his 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 best friend and roommate who adores him is in the highest class so that's a weird that's it's it's a weird like table flip kind of 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 that whole cultural thing of you know deferring to your elders or deferring to those who are above you in some way because one punch man always doesn't give a shit about that as well <laughs> he doesn't he really doesn't care about that at all whatsoever so he's really bucking the system in a lot of ways, <laughs> um, looking at it from that point of view. Oh, yeah. So, well, I mean, that's that's why he's stuck in C-class, because I think it's just if he were willing to play ball. Like they, they have to because of like the adherence to that kind of like strict dogma of the rules they set up. They have to let him in. You know, just barely. But like barely. if it was like a choice, he would not be a part of it. Right, right. That's very Which true. I mean, and this and this episode ends with Genos talking to Saitama about how he is ranked sixth in popularity despite being in seventeenth place in the S class. So Genos is already super popular among the people, and right. Saitama is still like seen as the dregs. Like he is an outcast, and 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 even other heroes and and sometimes the public at some points talk to Saitama like you're new, you don't know what you're talking about, like you're a newbie. <laughs> they still throw that at him too, on top of him being a sequelized guy too. It's like you don't know anything. Yeah, I've been doing this for 15 years. We've always done it this way, yeah, right? Well, that, and that was that was kind of my the other point I had about the 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 people in these in these various cities in this world. Like they are they are they sort of like they don't see. I, I don't know. They they're definitely afraid when it's convenient for the narrative. Like they'll run away from disasters and things. But for the most part, they seem to be just as wrapped up in this weird uh, sort of fame-based bureaucracy thing. So they see they see Saitama, who is a hero, as less than them because he's only C-class, right? right? Which is which is absurd. But it is. It's about you know it is. It's hi it's hierarchical and it's also kind of you know I mean all, the Heroes Association is as much the Screen Actors Guild as it is anything else, right? It's like. Well, you don't get a lot of work, so we don't care who you are, even though you might be amazing every time you're in something. 
they all recognize Moomin Rider. They all recognize uh, Tank Top Tiger. Like they, these people have uh, have fame cachet that really even does, though they they have like very little practical value. That we and that's and I think that's what's so interesting about this show in general. Yeah. Is we don't see any of these people do anything successfully heroic, but they must have. To well, get no, to that it's, they have the appearance of it's you know it's all fashion, not passion, right? Like Saitama's a walking bomb, but right. he's like like you mentioned before, he's dressed up like Charlie Brown in some kind of like weird Mighty Mouse costume. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have the look, he doesn't have the attitude, he doesn't uh you know function in that kind of cast system the way everybody else does. So he's totally disregarded. Yeah, which I mean that's and that's it's hilarious because it is so. I mean, especially because I, I, I will say, like, you know, Tank Top Tiger here, and I and I guess maybe he appears in a later episode. Yeah, I think the next episode is the one I'm thinking of where he's he's starting a rumor and he's basically trying to slander Saitama. But, like, you I, – I really viscerally, like, in the way that I really dislike a well-done bad character who's just deceitful and shitty, like, Tank Top Tiger is one of those characters where I'm like, I, I hate this guy. This guy is garbage. Like he's not he he's not a hero. He's just like he's a bully, and that's it. Did you guys want to do a quick kind of a preview of the? Because you watched a few more episodes. You want to talk about some of the highlights briefly of the next stuff? Yeah, we can well, talk about uh, the depends next. Depends on how far you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just give a preview of, like the next two episodes. Okay, so episode seven is called the Ultimate Disciple. Uh, there is a, uh, a meteorite that suddenly changed its trajectory towards City Z, and so all these S-Class heroes go to intercept it, okay. but only Genos, only Genos gets there, uh, followed by an aged hero named Bang, and they're evacuating the city, so this comes to Marcus's point, where it's like, they're going to evacuate this entire city of people. Um, City Z seems like the Puerto Rico of this world. It's just constantly getting punished by God, right? <laughs> and in th- this episode, then has uh, Tank Top Tiger and his brother Tank Top Black Hole. <laughs> Tank Top Black Hole. Wow. Known for, known for his grip that's so tight that it, I guess, can crush light. I, I it's, it's absurd. Sure. But sure. yeah. But yeah, basically, like, uh, Saitama just, like, goes up and punches this meteor. It breaks into several smaller meteors, and all the meteorites uh, still wreck the city. So everybody's giving him shit, even though he he, he jumps in rank quite a bit. Um, but yeah, then Tank Top Tiger and Tank Top Black Hole show up to, to slander him and be like, oh, he's fake, he's not a real hero. You know, you couldn't have done that. And and it's it's really I think it's like the first real like heartfelt, you know, poor Saitama sort of episode. Yeah, because he's really not appreciated whatsoever for what he did. He, he did he did save the city from the main devastating impact of the meteorite, even though he broke it up and there were still fires and other destruction. But he stopped it from impacting on the whole. Yeah. As a whole, and and he gets and he gets in this episode too, just this really powerful walkaway line where he's like, "Yeah, it's fine. I do this because I want to be a hero, not because I need your appreciation." 
Mm. And it's a very, it, he kind of does like, a, a, you know, Bill Bixby walking out of town in the old Incredible Hulk series kind of thing. Where you're just like, oh, buddy, you did, you did good and nobody loves you. Um, and then the next, the next understood soul you right uh and then the next episode is is one that is uh the first of a two-parter uh so this next show of better believe it when we talk about this um uh, because marcus you can come back if you want to because I, I i'm pretty sure you watched both the deep sea king and it's uh and it's oh. closing half unyielding justice i have i have so much to talk about the deep sea king character <laughs> wow yeah. Yeah, I've, I've a taken lot a lot of notes on that guy. <laughs> yeah. There is a lot going on with the Deep Sea King. A so. lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that kind of leaves it. I mean, I, I'm still just like, it's still a 10. It's all a 10. Yeah, I'm amazed that we have so much to talk about. Because you know how it is when something's really good and it just kind of turns into the Chris Farley show? Right. Yeah, yeah. How do you but, think that they managed to do that that good? Yeah. But, I mean, there is, again, there's a surprising amount of depth in this and stuff you can kind of pick apart, which is great. Yeah, I will, I, we're all being uh, very smart people who are engaged, so that, that helps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speak for yourselves. <laughs> but, uh, you Marcus. Psychom of the group. Marcus, you got anything coming out? You got any plugs the plug? Uh, well, I'm working on my 19th audiobook at the moment. It's... Um, it's being produced. It's going to be a while before it releases. I'm still in the middle of recording it. Uh, but it's all about the history of uh, climate change in the United States. And Oh, so it's fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a hoax. The whole book is, the whole book is a hoax. Uh, it's, a, it's about the history of, of climate change, the tracking of, of CO2, and the political response to it over the past, I don't know, uh, five six decades ever since it and ever since it's been a thing it's pretty interesting looking at the entire political response to it from both sides of the aisle over the decades it's pretty good stuff oh yeah i i, I, I think it. i think if i'm if i have my if what i read was correct there was a time uh, 40 or so years ago when people were like yeah this is probably a thing uh even and then there's before, a lot of huh? even before that yeah. Yeah. Even before and then that. there was a lot of money thrown at it to uh, argue that it can't be a thing. So that's cool. Yes. That that tug of war has been uh, ongoing for decades, and it still goes on today. Yep. Well, good. Like I like I like to end all these things. We're gonna run out of topsoil before the planet melts. So we're good either way. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. But we will yeah, always right. have, we'll always have. Uh, um, the Deep Sea King to look forward to. And we also have, by the way, um, one of my favorite characters in in this whole show is the one dude with glasses in the headquarters who's always uh, unshaven and haggard and sweaty and nervous. Like, he's he's always on his last nerve and super anxious about everything. And he was always, like, basically falling apart and screaming. He reminds me of... Uh... We were talking about Fully Cooley earlier. I forget the character's name, but the one that's part of the interdimensional tracking team with the eyebrows that are always falling off. That's hilarious. I can't wait to see it again. But yeah, his that that character is he's such a trope. Like he's such a trope, and they still put him in there. Like he's still part of the bureaucracy and just utterly nervous and just like, oh my god, the world's falling apart. The heroes need to get to CDZ as fast as they can. Oh my god. Yeah. 
Yeah, that guy would be played by uh, kind of bedraggled Ken Watanabe in the movie version. Yeah, just, you know, unbuttoned shirt, tie <laughs> tie broken around his neck, sweaty, you know, r- like red lighting on his face at all times, gaping open mouth. Yeah, drinking well, coffee like there's no tomorrow. I do know from Ben Shapiro, if the Deep Sea King does attack, we can always just sell our houses and move. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let, let's just say there is a deep sea king. Yeah, let's say that there's, I don't know, 50 deep sea kings, and there's 48 trans kids who are contemplating suicide. Now, like... That video you shared was amazing. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I will plug, uh, we had a new book come out uh, last week from Pam Jones. It's called Ivy Day. It's an excellent book. It's probably uh, most on the uh, literary fiction end of the sci-fi spectrum that we publish at Space Boy. Uh, And it's a phenomenal read, so people should buy it, because uh, my wife read it in one night last night, and she loved it. Wow, what's that title one more time? Is that Ivy Day? Is that what you said? Ivy Day, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. People should check that out. You can go to readspaceboy.com or Amazon or Barnes & Noble or uh, IndieBound. You'll find it. Awesome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, no, it's good to talk to you, boys. Uh, Marcus, hopefully you'll be back next week. And we I can... will be back. Excellent. Let's, let's wrap more about this excellent show and all of the weirdness contained within and pick it to pieces. I love right. it. Yeah. Nate, I love you. I love you too, uh, bud. Okay. All Thanks, right. guys. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.